Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. I think we love the idea of people being heroes of ours, people we can look up to and go, they're amazing, they accomplish great things. And so in our culture, we tell hero stories, right? Comic books and movies. Marvel tells hero stories, or at least they used to before their movies started to suck. Um, but they used to tell these stories, these people, you're like, oh man, they have these superpowers and they can do these incredible things. Usually they have superpowers, which is awesome. Sometimes they're like Batman and they just happen to be rich, which apparently is a superpower. Uh, and, and so we, we, look up at, we look at these people, we look up to them and go, they are, they're, they're amazing, they're, they're heroes of mine. A lot of times with sports, we, we end up idolizing those people and think of them as heroes. Um, and, and a lot of times what happens is someone gets so good at a sport and becomes our hero, and they get so good for so long, and we've cheered for them so long, we start to actually kind of hate them, and then they start doing things bad, and then we start cheering against them, right? Like, so for example, Lance Armstrong was a hero to many, uh, incredible cancer survivor, um, but, but incredible in, in cycling until we found out he cheated, and then we were like, oh, and, and the hero becomes the anti-hero, Right? Tiger Woods was dominant in the sport for many, many years until he cheated on his wife and she wrapped a nine iron around his head one Thanksgiving and it, it did not go well, you know, and, and the guy who was the hero becomes the anti-hero, right? LeBron James uh, was the guy, you know, one of, one of the best to ever play the game and, and was so loved. He was, he was a hometown hero. He was a Cleveland guy until he cheated on Cleveland and took his talents to South Beach and said, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to go to Miami where it's more fun than, apparently Miami's more fun than Cleveland. I don't know. And so um, you see that pattern over and over where the people that are the hero become the anti-hero. Um, you also see it uh, with yourself, I think, if we're honest about it. Like a lot of us think of ourselves as heroes in some way, like... Not like I'm, I have superpowers, but we're like the hero of our own story. We're like, you know, I'm a good, fill in the blank, I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother, I'm a good son, I'm a good employee. We think of ourselves in the story of our lives as a central character who's a, a, a good one. We're, we're good people. Um, but as we see how things go on and over time we start to realize that Actually, I'm not so good. Maybe I'm more of the anti-hero, you know? We're, we're the Taylor Swift song, right? We're sitting there going like, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. We've, we, we come to this realization that some of the bad things that happen in life are actually our fault, and we're not as amazing as we used to think that we are. And so we're going to spend four weeks talking about an anti-hero from the Old Testament, we're going to study through the book of Jonah. Uh, Topher just mentioned to you, we, we tend to have one idea of what Jonah is about, um, but I think we miss a lot of the details, and so it's actually been really fun to dive into this for the last few weeks and study it. Uh, several of us on staff are going to do these messages over the next few weeks. And it is a, a short book in the Old Testament. Jonah was a prophet. It's four, week, uh, four, four chapters. We're just going to do one a week here for the next four weeks. And what we will see is that God calls Jonah to greatness, calls him to a great task, a job, calls him to step up and be a hero in a situation. And Jonah doesn't want to do it, rebels against doing it, um, eventually reluctantly does what God wants him to do, and then is a bit salty and bitter about it. 
And so you see uh, heroic elements and you see the anti-heroic elements all come together. And I think that as I've been diving into it, I think he's very relatable. Like as we, we study Jonah, you're going to find him to be annoying and, uh, and, and then you'll see some good things there as well. And, and I think as we reflect on him and our own lives and our own context, I think you're going to see some really relatable pieces of, of that. So let me give you a little background. Jonah was a prophet in Israel and he, um, this book is going to be set somewhere during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who was a king in Israel. And so when you, when you kind of overlap the timeline, because there's actually not, in the, not a lot in the Old Testament written about Jonah. There's the book of Jonah, and then he's mentioned very little outside of the book of Jonah. We'll get to it in a second. But when you overlap the timeline of when Jonah taught and spoke and who was king and, and kind of piece all these things together, you can kind of place what we're about to read somewhere between 780 and 753 B.C., um, so he's in the northern kingdom of Israel, um, and Jeroboam is the king. And one of the things that happens while, and, and if you read the history of the kings and the, the, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah in the Old Testament, you'll see that they are constantly being attacked or invaded by neighboring kingdoms and, and countries. And one of the main enemies that they had, the northern kingdom had during that time, was the Assyrians, which is an incredibly powerful ancient empire. The Assyrians were uh, east of of Israel in modern-day Iraq, that area. Uh, that's where the Assyrian kingdom was. They were powerful, strong, and um, they actually invaded Israel and took some land. And under Jeroboam, they took the land back and restored Israel to its original borders. This was a big victory for Israel. They take the land back. Well, taking the land back from the Assyrian kingdom uh, was prophesied about by Jonah. So Jonah was one of the people in, in the culture who said, we're going to take the land back. And, and I want to read that to you. 2 Kings 14, 25 through 27. It's talking about Jeroboam. It says this. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there is none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So there's a, a, a brief mention of Jonah here in the book of Second Kings. Jeroboam uh, fights back against the Syrians and restores the, the country. And this was prophesied about by Jonah. Jonah said, this is what is going to happen um, and, and, and this was great. Now, generally, the role of a prophet in the Old Testament is not a job that you want. It's a hard job. If you read the prophets, and there's a bunch of them in the Old Testament, if you read their books, read their writings, uh, it's mostly sad and angry and, and frustrating because uh, people are doing horrible things, and God chooses prophets to speak to the people. So if you're a prophet, your job is go to the king and tell him how angry God is at him. Nobody wants that job. Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news, right? If God says, I want you to go to the king, go to the president right now and tell him he's terrible. You're like, I don't want the job. I just, those people can kill me. They have military, they have police, they have supporters, they have whatever. Like, I don't want to do it is how so many of the prophets felt. It's a hard job. You don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Nobody liked you. But here, Jonah is liked. We could say he's a hero. A national hero, because he's the one who said, we're going to get our land back. And then it actually happens under Jeroboam. So 
the mood around Jonah or, or the, the, the view of Jonah is he's not the bearer of bad news. In fact, Jonah's the guy who brought us some good news that we're going to get our land back and we're going to defeat the Assyrians. So people would have liked Jonah. So starting this thing out, when you hear Jonah and the book of Jonah, in the Israelites would have been like, he's a hero. He's great. Okay? That's, that's where we start. Uh, he receives a call from God, and we're going to pick it up, Jonah chapter 1. We're just going to read through the first chapter today. He receives a call from God. Now the word of the Lord, Jonah 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, um, the, the call on Jonah sounds a lot like the call on a lot of prophets, where the word of the Lord comes to such and such, and it's from God, and he says, arise, go. And so you're supposed to stand up and go do the thing God called you to do. Um, and you see that in a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. This one, uh, God calls Jonah and says, arise and go to Nineveh, and it refers to it as that great city. Nineveh... Um, is it would be a weird place for Jonah to go. Jonah's an Israelite. Nineveh is a Syrian city. It's modern day, um, and you may remember this from sort of the, the wars that our, our country has been involved in over the last 20 years. Modern day Mosul in Iraq, that's where Nineveh was. That was the ancient city of Nineveh. So you're supposed to, Jonah is called to get up from his, his country and go to this neighboring country, go to Assyria, go to Nineveh, and it's referred to as that great city. It doesn't mean it's great like, isn't New York City great? I, I, heart, I heart Nineveh. It's not like that. It's great and it's large and, and significant. It's an important place in the ancient world. And so God calls him and says, go to this great city, um, and it's referred, God says, their evil has come up before me. So there's something about Nineveh that is evil. Now, we can't piece together all of what is so bad about Nineveh that, that Jonah wouldn't want to go there. But we do have some indication of what the Assyrians were like in the ancient world and how they functioned um, in, in all sorts of, in the Bible, but in secular sources as well. And we do have a sense of how bad Nineveh was. Um, in fact, one of the Old Testament, a different Old Testament prophet, the book of Nahum, which you've probably not spent a lot of time reading, but the book of Nahum is almost entirely about Nineveh and how terrible it is. So a whole book was devoted to, this place is really bad, which is a weird thing to write a book about, but there we have it. Uh, Nahum, let me just read you a piece of it. Nahum chapter 3, verses 1, describing Nineveh. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey, the crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and full of deadly charms, who betrays nations with their whorings and people with her charms. That's not a great review. That's not a great Yelp review. Of, of Nineveh, right? Vegas looks good compared to that, right? So we know there's some pretty wicked stuff going on with, with this city. And God is going to, and, and, and says he will, strike this city down. Just blot it out, wipe it off the face of the earth. And it's easy to read that with modern day eyes. Like if God says, hey, I'm going to wipe out this whole city, our natural reaction to that is, ah, the whole city, surely there's a couple good people there. 
Like, that seems like overkill, literally. Like, you're killing too many people if you wipe out a whole city because I know there's probably some really bad people there that do some bad things, and maybe you want to punish them if you're God, but not everybody's bad all the time. Like, let's give it a break. You know, that's kind of how we might read that. But that's a really hard thing to judge of a whole place for, for us of a culture thousands of years ago to, to judge it, right? And it's, and it's hard to put ourselves in the, in, the, in, the, in the shoes of God and go, well, how would I function here? How would I act? The reality is Nineveh's doing evil things. And, and, and really, how bad would it have to be before, if you were God, you would step in and do something about the place? Like, if they are slaughtering people, if, it's a, if, it's, if the city is raping people and exploiting women and children, and ch- if there's child sacrifice being going, going on there to the gods where children are being put on burning altars and things like that, like how dark does it have to be before you would go, yeah, let's wipe these fools out, like the whole place. Like wipe the city out and start over. Nothing good is coming from there. It is all dark all the time. And so God is frustrated and angry with Nineveh because he has a sense of justice, but he's also patient and he's willing to give them a lifeline. God will judge them, but he has a long fuse. And so he throws them this lifeline and the lifeline is Jonah. Jonah, you go tell them what they're doing and get them to change their mind. Go preach this message. Jonah is not going to like this plan. And actually it makes a lot of sense if you you think about it. When God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, Jonah being a good Israelite boy, a, a, a Jewish guy, you know, he's, he's going to be like, uh-uh, like, there's no way I'm going there. Those are monsters. These people are evil. A guy like me does not go to a place like that ever. Like, I don't want to be around it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get some of it on me. They'll probably kill me. Like, it's not going to go well. That would be one reaction. Or a second reaction Jonah might have is, if you want me to go and, and tell them to repent, uh, one, they'll probably kill me, but even if they don't, and let's say they do repent and change their ways, I don't want that either. Because then you're not going to punish them. And if you think about how you react about your enemies, you want God to punish them. So Jonah doesn't want to go because he's afraid he's going to be killed. He also doesn't want to go because he's afraid it'll work. And he doesn't want that either. He just wants these people gone because they're so horrible. They're the national enemy, basically. So Jonah doesn't like this plan of of God being kind to his enemies. Let's just put that in our context. Do you have enemies? Do you have people in your life, not a whole nation maybe, but do you have people in your life from your past that you would go, yeah, we're not good. Like, I, I hate that girl. I hate that guy. And you're embarrassed about it. Maybe you don't want to say that you hate somebody, but you've got people in your life that you're just like, mm, it's not cool between us, and I, I just don't like this person. Do you have those people in your life? Is it possible that God actually loves that person that you hate? That person that's your enemy, the God who loves you, is it possible that that God also loves them? And if that's true, how uncomfortable is that? Let's be honest. If I hate them, surely God hates them too. Doesn't God love the people I love and hate the people I hate? Isn't that how this works? What if God loves your enemies? What if God loves my enemies? It's really 
It's really uncomfortable. This is why I think Christians need to keep really short accounts with people and be willing to forgive. Because the person that you hate and continue to hate is somebody that God loves. And we need to understand that. Jesus died for your sins and he died for the sins of your enemy. We need to understand that too. So Jonah uh, is going to hear the call of God and he's going to slip very quickly from hero to anti-hero um, in, in one verse. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Here's how he responds to God's call. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. You see this descent. Jonah went down to Joppa on the coast, modern day in Israel. That's Tel Aviv. Jonah goes from where he lives down, and then he goes down into the ship. There's this descent idea. And he is fleeing. It says three times in that verse that he's going to a place called Tarshish. Um, For us to understand that, you just got to see it on a map and see what's happening here. So here's a map. Jonah starts in Gath Hefer, goes down to Joppa on the coast. This is the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. See where Nineveh is on the map? See where Jonah is planning on going in response to God's call? Tarshish represents, and you see it show up other times in the Old Testament, it represents the end of the earth. It's Spain, right? That's where he's going across Mediterranean. This is like a year journey across the Great Sea to Tarshish. So God says, I want you to go here. And Jonah says, I'm going as far away from that as I can get. That's his plan. You want me to go save these people? Nah. I am, that's, no, I'm getting on a boat, and I'm going to go to, to Tarshish to get away. And it says he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, which is an interesting phrase because the scripture also tells us, where can I go that you're not there? Like, God's presence is everywhere. But it was this idea that I'm going to get so far away, God won't even see me over here. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting away from this whole thing. And Although we may know intellectually we can't get away from the presence of the Lord, it does feel like that, especially when we're rebelling. When we are disobedient to God, we pull ourselves away from anything that reminds us of God. So when we sin, we go, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to hang out with friends, Christian friends. Uh, I'm not going to do anything Christian adjacent. I'm going to, as, as you know, people are going this way, the God people are going this way, I'm definitely just going to go the other direction. We've, we've done that kind of stuff. You've, maybe you've felt that way or gone through seasons of that way yourself. We avoid the things that make us think of God. And this is what Jonah is doing. He's getting on a boat and trying to get as far away from God as possible and as far away from the call of God to go to Nineveh. So look what happens. Verse 4. Uh, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. I don't know how he sleeps during a storm. I can't even sleep sleep on a cruise ship uh, without drama means, so I don't know what he's doing there, but... um, so he's, uh, he's sleeping, and um, God sends this storm. 
Now, I'm not the kind of person that says that every uh, natural event of a hurricane or you know, a tempest or whatever it describes here, or a storm on the sea, I'm not saying all of that is from God. I am saying this one is from God. God is given credit here for hurling this tempest at the boat to rattle the boat as, as Jonah goes. Um, and I think it's really interesting the way the sailors respond. The sailors are not... Um, Israelites, these are just kind of the sea, sea-going folks around. Uh, and so t- t- from Israel perspective, these are uh, pagan neighbors who are praying to, you know, gods like Zeus and Apollo and these sorts of things. And their response to the storm is to pray to their gods. They're like, gods help us. And Jonah's response is to just sleep and try to ignore the whole thing because he's certainly not going to pray to God because he's in the process of running from God in that moment. So God sends this storm. Uh, Verse 6, let's continue on. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. First of all, I love that Jonah, the Israelite hero, is being told to pray by the pagan captain of the ship. The guy who doesn't believe in the God of Israel is telling the guy who does, you really should pray. You need to like, you know, get it together here, religious guy. Like pray to your God that maybe your God will save us. So that happens. Um, And then they cast lots, which is drawing straws, you know, um, the, the, you know, rock, paper, scissors, that kind of thing, rolling dice here or whatever to decide who, to try to figure out who is it. And you see this a lot, a lot in the ancient world. And, and I don't think God controls the dice all the time, but he did this time. The same God who sends the, the, the tempest can control the dice, can load the dice a little bit. And they fall on Jonah. So everyone goes, they, they, they kind of cast the lots here, they roll the dice in a sense, and they go, oh, it's this guy. This is the reason why this storm has come, come on us. Um, verse eight. So they they uh, they're like, what you know, what's going on with you? And they they cast lots. Verse eight. It says, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I feel like this is a real mixed bag of a response from Jonah. Like, he's fleeing from God, and he tells them that. He also seems a little proud of who he is. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord is what he says. Do you, though? Do you? Because you're not exactly doing what he says, like this is just such a weird, weird response of, of national pride combined with confession of how messed up this whole thing is right now and what he's doing and that he's running away. And so they're rightly sort of uh, freaking out, um, like what have, what have you done? Like you're running away from God and, th- and this is happening to us because of it. Verse 11, let's continue on. Uh, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
I think that's weird too. I don't know how that lands on you. I think it's really passive. Like, Jonah, if you think you're the problem here, and everybody seems to think you're the problem, and they cast lots, and they came up that you're the problem, everyone is now in agreement. You're the problem. And, and they're like, let's fix this problem. And your answer is, why don't you guys throw me into the sea? I'm like, just jump. Like, I, if you think it's a problem, like you've concluded, just go. Like, why do you need them to throw you in? And, and I wonder if it's just one more piece of passivity, one more piece of... I mean, it's not my fault. So, when, so like, if he, if he gets thrown into the sea and then he drowns, is he really going to stand before God at his death and go, I mean, I, they threw me in the water. It wasn't my fault. Like, it, just w- one more, like, passing the buck, you know, kind of thing. It reminds me a little bit of in the Garden of Eden that God comes to blame, come talk to Adam and Eve, and he says to Adam, what did you do? And, and Adam says, it's not my fault. It was the woman that you gave to me. It was her fault. Very much like... It's not my fault, it's her fault, and it's actually your fault, God, because you gave, you know, you gave this woman to me. It, it reminds me a little bit of that, and I wonder if Jonah, in, in this sense, is sort of saying, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, and then I drowned, God, you know, like, that's what happened, because they threw me in the water because of the, hur- the hurricane that you sent. Like, all of this, like, it's, it's not me, it's I'm not the problem here, it's not my fault. You, you see a, a little bit of this with Jonah. Now, we don't know all of his mindset, we will hear more about it next week in chapter 2 and, and maybe a little more in chapter 4. But right now, maybe reading into it a little bit, that, that there's some of this that's, that's going on in, in, in Jonah's head. Uh, the, the sailors are reluctant to, um, to throw him overboard, though, because that's, you know, maybe because they took a fare from him or it just feels awful murderous to throw this guy into the sea. Um, so they're reluctant. Verse 13 continues on. Um, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as, as it pleased you. Man, that's really interesting to me. Um, when they pray, who do they pray to? It's God, right? Like the Lord. They, they're not praying to Zeus and Apollo. At this time, they're like, oh, this guy's with that God. Let's pray to that God and make sure that that God understands what's happening here and knows that this is not our fault. Like, we, we were the good guys in the story. We are the heroes. We did not... We're going we're gonna to throw this guy over, it's, you know. And so um, they pray to God, which is interesting because they're doing the very thing Jonah is unwilling to do. These pagan, Gentile, non-believers are praying to the very God that Jonah is trying to avoid and, and himself won't, won't pray to. And so they're, they're, in a sense, submitting to God, and they, they throw him overboard, and this brings an end to the storm. Verse 15. Uh, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. This is interesting, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They throw Jonah into the water, and immediately the storm stops. Um, I think you would find religion real quick if that happened, right? Wouldn't you? 
I'd be like, all right, something is up. This is bizarre. Like, we're rowing as hard as we can. The wind and the waves and it's beating down on you and the boat's almost capsized and it's awful. And immediately that, we throw him over, that dude hits the water and the, and the storm stops. You're like, dang. Like, this would freak you out, right? Any of us at this moment, um, it's, it's powerful. I'm going to stop there. There's another verse to chapter one, but I'll, I'll, I'll let Rachel pick it up next week. Um, but right now, I, I, wanna, I want you to see a couple, a couple ideas here. The first is this. Um, the chapter starts with God calling Jonah to go reach a, a, a people who are not Israelite, who are not Jewish, who are far from God to reach this, this wicked people. And it ends with wicked people turning to God. The chapter ends that way. These sailors who, sailor reputation, right? Like not, not the most moral group of, of people. It ends with them calling out to God, honoring God, fearing God, making sacrifices to God, and making vows to God. Um, all of that happens, and Jonah has done nothing right so far in the story. He did not preach to them. He did not challenge them. He did not you know, uh, give them a message of hope or tell them that God loves them or tell them to submit to the Lord, any of that. All of this has happened. They are turning to God regardless of what Jonah does in the story. God is still at work. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Um, As we sit here today, thousands of years removed and many cultures away in a different part of the world, God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Um, and, and he also loves your enemies. And he also loves the people who are far away and the people who are not like you. God blessed Israel, but the whole idea was that Israel would go bless and reach the rest of the world. And, and modern day, that's the church. The call of the church Area 10 and other faith communities here and the church globally, our call is to reach the world, to tell people who don't know God about God, to introduce people to Jesus. This is why we challenge you. Hey, hey, we're, we're talking about this, whatever. Like, invite a friend to be a part of this. Some are fun this summer. Invite a friend to join you and get to know some of the community here. This is why we, we do different studies or um, outreach events. This is why we're going to do a Holy Smokes event, a meat smoking event next month. This is why we do Harry Potter in the fall. This is a fun thing. We are trying to reach people who maybe don't have a relationship with God and introduce them to God. Uh, and, and maybe those people are similar to us. Maybe they're different than us. God loves them also. Um, this is why we go to faraway places. This is why we go to Turkey uh, to, to tell people about God because most of the, of the nation of Turkey is, is Muslim. And we want to introduce them to Jesus so they can know God through Jesus and, and the, the power of that and give them the hope that comes from being in a relationship to God through Jesus. Um, I, I, want, I want us to see God's heart here. God is actually pursuing the Assyrians, this wicked people. We'll talk more about how nasty they were next week. But this, these evil people in Nineveh, God is pursuing them. He loves them too the enemies of Israel. God is pursuing them. God is pursuing these sailors. Jonah, you know, God's, make, God's making something of Jonah's bad decisions and is pursuing the sailors and, and helping them find hope. 
And, and as you're going to see through this story, God is also concerned about Jonah and his heart and where he's at with all of this. So that's number one is I, I want us to understand how much God loves us and not just us, but God, how much God loves the people who are unlike us. And number two, um, it jumped out at me again as I, as I read through this and particularly in those last verses, the idea that these sailors feared the Lord. We have been reading through the scriptures. There's a group of us at the church who have been reading through the Bible this year, and actually we just read Jonah last week. So we've been reading through a lot of the Old Testament, uh, three or four chapters a day, so we're on day 141 or something like that today. Um, And you can't help but notice how much the fear of the Lord shows up in the scriptures. And when you get to the New Testament, you don't see it there as much, but it's still there. The idea that we should fear God. There should be fear of the Lord. Like, this is an important concept. And I I think it's um, important. The sailors were not overwhelmed by the love of God. This is not a warm and fuzzy story. This is, they're terrified, and the fear moved them to honor God and to submit to God and to make vows to him and all that. Um, Fear is actually really important here in understanding who God is, who we are, what's going on in the world. And uh, there's loads of examples in Scripture I could show you. Let me just give you the way it's talked about in Psalm 128. This is how Psalm 128 starts. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Just, you know, English, uh, just... Let's just take, put that scripture back up for a second. Let's just take the, um, like, uh, reading comprehension, like this is the SAT. It says you'll be blessed, uh, you'll eat the fruit of the labor of your hand, you'll be blessed, it shall be well with you. What does all that hinge on? What is the thing you must have in order to be blessed? Fear of the Lord, right? It's, it's, the answer is C on the, on, the, on the Scantron sheet. That's you bubble in C. It is fear of the Lord. That's the answer. The key to the blessing is fear of the Lord. And here's what me, I've done this over the years, and, and, and a lot of preachers in America, probably in the West, here's where we have failed you. We have read that scripture or things like it, and we have said to you, fear doesn't mean afraid. So we've taken the actual word and said, it's not that. <laughs> you think fear, it's not fear. It's more like reverence and awe and respect, right? Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, don't be afraid, just be respectful. Awe, reverence. I think we've done a disservice on that. It's legit fear. The the sailors were not just now had a little more awe and reverence and respect for God. They were terrified. The fear is real, and that's actually, it's actually okay. Proverbs says the first step to knowledge and wisdom is fear. This is huge. This is what we're lacking in culture. We're lacking knowledge and wisdom. We know we have the internet in our pocket. We know a lot about a lot of things. We have knowledge of things, but we lack the wisdom. We lack insight. We lack the real know-how, what is true, what is right, what is good, what is up, what is down. We, we, we know about things, but we don't really know. The, the ins and outs of things. We lack wisdom. 
And the scripture says the way to get it starts with, you know, wisdom from knowledge. And the way to get knowledge is to start with fear of the Lord. This is huge. We actually have to fear God. We have to be like, have that moment of, oh, there's an all-powerful God, and I am not that God. That is not me. Like, this recognition of the power of God and, and our own limitations, this idea that, man, God could wreck me. This doesn't mean I'm walking around trembling in every moment of my life. Scripture also tells us that because of Jesus, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. So there is this idea that I can, I can now stand before God because of what Jesus has done for you. Yes, the, I, I, I get that. But consider the entire scripture. There's so much emphasis on, man, get the perspective here. Fear the Lord. Um, anyone who meets the Lord in the scriptures ends up being terrified in some way. Um, and I think it, it has to, to be that way. Um, and so the question I'm asking myself, and, and, and this shows up when you sin, because when we sin, we're basically saying, I'm not, I'm not as scared of anybody. I'm going to do whatever I want. And so this, this question shows up for me. It has just been like, man, am I, am I afraid of the Lord or not? Do I, do I really think there's no consequences? Are you, so the question for you, are you afraid of the Lord? Um, so I just want to leave you with a couple questions. These are questions to think about as we contemplate sort of the end of this first chapter. And it is going to take quite the twist next week, this story. Um, uh, here's the questions I have for you. Question number one, uh, in what area of your life are you running from God? So God's calling you to do something and you are on the boat to Tarshish. You are going as far away as possible. What area of your life is that true? Number two, do you fear the Lord? Not like in trembling every moment of your life, but a, a healthy, whoa, okay, I, I am afraid here. Do you fear the Lord? Number three, how is that changing the way you live? That right perspective of there is a God and I'm not that God, how is that changing the way you live, the, the, the way you talk, the way you act? Um, and number four, who is God calling you to lean into and reach? God calls Jonah to the very people he hates. I'm not saying God will call you to the very people you hate, but he might call you to reach your coworker, to your family member, to a friend, to someone on your soccer team. Who is God calling you to lean into? Those are the questions I want us to think about um, as, we, as we kind of process Jonah chapter one here and this anti-hero story. Um,